0: So, we have got a lot of scriptures in this uh, discussion tonight, so really probably it's going to be the easiest if you follow along on the handout, but uh, feel free to follow along in your Bibles as well. The theme that we started last week, and we're going to do this for the next several weeks, is really about making disciples. And the key verse, the theme verse, comes from Matthew 28 and verses 18 through 20, which are really familiar probably to most of us. And that's the passage that we get the Great Commission from. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So somebody tell me, let's just get uh, engaged here right from the start. Somebody tell me, where is the phrase, make disciples, coming from? Of course, if you're in the, the translation that we're reading from, the King James Version, you don't see that phrase, make disciples, but it's there in the originals. And Do you remember where, where is that in the, in the text? Who knows? Who remembers the phrase in here that it means to make disciples? Anybody remember? If you don't remember, by the way, I would circle it again. Just make sure you don't forget it because it's really, really important. Yeah, Terry. It's a phrase. Well, it is a word. It's a word, yeah. Teach. Absolutely, you got it right. So that statement there, in verse number 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's the verb form of the noun disciple. So, We would say, be a disciple, but that phrase there, teach all nations, it literally means to make disciples. And so we laid the groundwork for that last week. We set up an introductory lesson and discussion about what it means to make disciples. And so I kind of want to review these every week because they're really foundational. And what we're doing is we're challenging ourselves to take it personally, to say that um, we're not just on this walk with the Lord. It's not just me and Jesus walking side by side. There's some principles here. In fact, the first one we saw, let's review it. It's the first one there on your, the front of your handout. The principle from the Bible is this, disciples make disciples who make disciples who, you get it, it goes and goes and goes. It's part of, it's part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus. It's assumed that we will make disciples. It's the mission. It's why we were left here. As we are following the Lord, we're supposed to help others follow the Lord as well. The second thing we noticed was this, and I'll ask you to elaborate on this. We talked about this last week. Jesus gave us both the process and the pattern for making disciples. Jesus gave us the process and the pattern for making disciples. And what do we mean by that? What, what do we mean? What was the process he gave us? The process is pretty simple. What was the... And it's, it's actually in the, in the text here. So we said there's a process, but there's also a pattern. What's the basic process of discipleship? And it's, if you reduced it to its most basic things, what is the process? That's right, but what is the process that those disciples use? It's, it's in the... In the Great Commission. Yeah? Okay, they preach the good news, so the gospel is proclaimed, then what happens? This is this is not like this isn't this is a real basic one. It's the like how does somebody how do you know somebody is progressing in discipleship? Okay, there you go. So the first is they hear the gospel, they receive the gospel, they're what? You baptize them, and and baptism is is the outward symbol of the inward transformation. Baptism is also what unites somebody to the physical church. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. Those that received the word were baptized. And then the final step is the continuing, never-ending step, which is what? Teaching them to observe all things. So the, the process that we're given is people hear the gospel, people are baptized, and then they're taught to observe all the teachings of Jesus. Now, now, obviously, that just now blows it wide open. So Jesus gave us the process. We see that here. But then we say, said also that Jesus gave us the pattern. So what do we mean by that? How do we dif- what are we differentiating the pattern from the process? The pro- process is unchanging, and, but the pattern takes on different, different nuances. And so what do we mean Jesus gave us the pattern? Yeah. Yeah. That, well, to a degree, you're absolutely right. So, what do we mean though? Jesus gave us a pattern. I'm sorry. Right. So, it, so what we said this. Let me let me put it this way. This is what we talked a lot about last week. The process of discipleship is get them the word. They get baptized. They learn all things. But the pattern of discipleship. We're talking about the example that Jesus set. So Jesus left us this, but this is not all we have. This process is not all there is. We looked at the life of Jesus, we look at the life of Jesus, and we see, well, how did he accomplish this? What kind of things was he doing? What kind of things were the early church doing in order to see this mission accomplished? And so, again, it's a good thing we're reviewing it. So... What were some of the things that, as we think about that, yes, there's a pattern. How was the church accomplishing this? Obviously, yes, they're preaching the Bible, they're baptizing, they're teaching. But there was a pattern of actual physical things happening in their lives that facilitated this, that enabled it. What kind of things were we seeing? Yeah. Yeah, they spent time, they ate together, right? So what we're doing is we're saying discipleship isn't just it's not so much like, okay, this is a class, you take the class, now you've been discipled. So, one of the things we saw was they, they broke bread together. They spent a lot of time just in meals. What else did they do? Where did a lot of the teaching take place? Yeah. So, what things were to what things did we learn about the pattern that Jesus set? So, there the, the people are spending time. That, like Sarah said, they people are sharing meals with each other. Yep. Yeah. yeah, a lot of a lot of what was taking place was in people's homes. It talked about like the teaching that was happening. They would go to the temple, but also house to house. So there's a lot of interaction. And then we also looked at the life of Jesus, like Jesus' pattern of discipleship. There are a few things, as we thought about Christ, he would, I mean, those guys basically lived together for a period of time. But there were levels of discipleship, right? Like he spent a lot of time with, there were over 100 disciples, but then there were 12 that he spent a lot of time with. And then among the 12, there were three that he spent even more time with, Right? Anything else that we picked up on discipleship and in the, in the pattern that Jesus left in the early church as well. So all this is important because sometimes we make assumptions that discipleship is happening because people are attending a service or people are attending a class. But that's not necessarily part of it. And that kind of brings us to number three, which is really the reason for this whole discussion. And the third principle here is that we need to remember that discipleship involves who? It involves the whole church. Discipleship is a whole church process. So, the question that we all have to ask ourselves as we go through this, the question is, in what way am I not just being a disciple of Jesus, but in what way am I contributing toward seeing other people discipled, right? That's the question that we've got to look at and we've got to examine through this. And if we're going to take personal responsibility. So I believe this very, very firmly, that every person, every person that walks through the doors of our church is a soul that we are called to steward in some way. You understand what I mean by that? So every person that comes in, God has, for one reason or another, whether it's for a long time or a short time, whether we, we have a lifelong relationship with them or we only interact with them one time, every person that comes in is a stewardship, regardless of their age, their gender, their background, we have that stewardship. And so, as a church, we all need to take that stewardship seriously. That it is not, we should never assume, well, somebody's got those people covered. Now, that doesn't mean somebody walks in the door and we all like, you know, like, boom! <laughs> you know, like, that can, make, that can freak people out. But do you understand just like a spiritual sensitivity? That the well-being of every person in the flock, yes, the respons- it is a pastoral responsibility, of course, but it's also a corporate responsibility that's shared by the church. Yeah. It is, and that's something that we need to consider, that discipleship involves the whole church. So my involvement in a local church is, yes, I'm a disciple who needs to be fed the word, but I need to be a discipler or involved in the discipleship process of other people. Now, if that, doesn't really, if, if that responsibility hasn't really sunk in yet in your mind or in your heart, You should pray about it and say, Lord, help me to understand this. Help me to... Because it's something that has to grip you at the soul level. And this is the difference between casual Christianity and a committed Christian life. There are many people that they view their relationship to the local church as that they will say, well, it's so long as I receive some kind of spiritual benefit from the church... I'll be involved. And I'm not saying these are bad people. They're good people. And their attitude would be something like, well, you know what? Yeah, the the church is is good for me. It's good for my family. It's good for my children. And so they will find, um, they'll they'll engage only so far. But once we take the next, I'm going to call it, it's a little bit more radical, but that's what Jesus calls us to not a casual relationship, but to jump in, feet first, you know, full, all in, that's when we say, well, this isn't just about how this benefits me, but I have an obligation to just not just be a disciple that's growing and receiving, but to be giving, and giving of myself. Right? So, that, those are the principles, and I took a little bit more time on it, but it's, it's important that we, and I'll, we'll review them every week, but let's look today, I want to show you a theme that you find in the scriptures, and to challenge us, and I'm going to do a different theme each week, but as we look, at, as you open up your notes, the second message tonight, I want to focus on this. As we make disciples, making disciples involves having compassion, having compassion, Matthew 9 and 35 through 38. I want you to see this. Because remember, Jesus gave us the process, but then he also displayed a pattern. So let's look at what Jesus did. Verse 35 of Matthew 9. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is pretty typical of what we'd, we would expect of Jesus' ministry. And now look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was, now underline it, circle it, mark it, whatever you'd like to do or think hard about it. He was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, "The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest." That phrase there that I had you mark or underscore, moved with compassion. It occurs, I believe, five times in the Gospels. And it's a Greek word. You see the transliteration there. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's a few extra syllables than I care to, and too many consonants. So we'll skip the pronunciation. But it literally means to be moved from the bowels. To be moved from the bowels. So think of this idea of, we, have the, we use the word compassion, in the, in the original, in, the, in, in the, the original idea, this would have been like a Jewish idiom. So they would say that I, am, I, I feel moved in my bowels, in my innermost, in my gut, so to speak. It's like a gut-level reaction. And it was a way that they would express compassion. Now, we don't have a, an idiom like that. That's why we don't translate it. We don't translate it that way. We translate it, he had compassion or he was moved with compassion. But do you understand? Like, could somebody maybe describe that? Like, do you, do you feel the idiom though when you hear it? Like, like, I think we get it. He was, it's, yeah, what were you going to say? Deep. It's like more than just a surface just a Like Yeah. Right. So, like, you can look at someone and say, oh, yeah, I feel sorry for them, right? But this would be more than that. This would be to look at somebody, and, and we've all felt that before in different situations, where it's not just like, oh, yeah, they're in a bad situ- situation, I kind of feel bad. It's to see something, it's to observe something, and to just feel it inside, to feel that kind of compassion inside of you, and that's when you see that phrase, moved with compassion. That's what it's talking about. And Jesus, multiple times, it says that he, he feels that. And he looks at them and that's his response. And so if he is our model of, of the master and we are all disciples of his, we need to ask ourselves the question, what, what level of compassion do I have for people around me? Do I, allow, do I allow what people are experiencing to affect me that personally? Sometimes we intentionally do not. Do you know what I mean by that? Why would we intentionally not? I see a few of you nodding your heads along. Why would we sometimes intentionally or how or why do we sometimes intentionally avoid this kind of response toward people? Okay, sometimes we might just really not care. It's bothersome? Yeah. I think sometimes that uh people don't want to get involved because of the situation. Say just as an example, say you know say a homeless person who's you know, a great society, jury. Right. Yeah. That's true. Other reasons why sometimes we just don't. Do you think sometimes we know if we let ourselves feel what... We, like, we know. Like, you almost start to feel like... You, and then you know, if you keep going down that road, what's going to happen in your life? There's, you're going to have to do something. Right? Like, it's easier to just be like, oh, I, re- I really you know, feel bad for that person. And even maybe, let's use Frank's example, like a homeless person, for instance. And I know there's some, we, you cannot help every single person. You're not Jesus. I understand that. We're not. We, we have human limitations. But we're using that as an example. Sometimes it's like, well, you know what, I'll, I'll give five bucks or something, but I won't really put myself in a place where I'm going to feel that because I know if I really feel what's going on in that person's life, then it's going to cause me to have feel some sense of responsibility. I'm going to have to do something. And sometimes we know that we just don't want to do something. Am I making sense here? Like, am I? Is it? Is this connecting? You understand what I'm saying? Any other thoughts on that? Why we? Why, why we sometimes may not even allow ourselves to feel that? Well, we know if we get there, if we get to that place. Um, all of us can be affected that way. And so Jesus is moved with compassion. Now, I want you to see one more thing in here, and I want to ask you this. Look at the passage, Matthew 9.35. Think about how it opens and what's going on, and then tell me what is it that affects Jesus the most in this whole situation. Look at it and see if you notice what I'm, what I'm noticing here, that... There's kind of a couple of different things going on here. Yeah? Right? Yeah. Any other observations from this? Like what's, what's there? What's yeah. So, I, what, I, what I notice here is this. At the beginning, what, what is the scene we see? What is the situation that people are in? You're seeing people, and what, what do they need? The people at the beginning of the, the passage, what do they need? They need, they're sick people, right? They have diseases. And so, what does he do? He heals them. So, you find them in the middle of these people with their sickness, their disease, and Jesus provides healing but then now in verse 36, now he just looks at the whole group of people, and I'm sure that the... Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah. I think that's, that's what I'm trying to... That's what I was kind of driving at. Yeah, that's, that's what I think is happening here. There's people with these physical needs, and he's healing them, healing them, but then it says he looks out on the multitude, and he sees the multitude, and he knows that they need so much more. They need so much more. It's not that their sicknesses don't cause him to have compassion. Of course they do, but it, it's their need is so much greater than that. So he's moved with compassion, but then he is, but then he's broken hearted as well because what is there a lack of? There's a lack of other people who share that compassion. There aren't enough people who share the compassion of Jesus. That's why he says to do what? Pray for laborers. Pray for more people to have compassion. And and that is not just, we we talk about this like for missionaries and stuff, right? Like pray for laborers to send them to the fields. Like what about right here? What about here that we would say, God, you know, in our church, in our community, among all the Christians in our area. Like give us compassion for the people here and give us more laborers. Give us more people with compassion that will not just, listen, churches are filled with people who like to talk about things and learn things and sing things. But what about people who will do things, right? And that's all of us what will we do laborers laborers are he's not laborers is, it involves activity it, it involves exertion yes yeah yeah right, they just need somebody to step in. They need somebody to step in and say, hey, let me help you. Let me get you to the shepherd. But Jesus says there aren't enough people willing to do that. And that's the story of of the, the mission field. We need more missionaries, but it's also the story of the local churches all across our country. They need more people to say, I will get involved in the business of compassion, in the labor of compassion, in the work. Jesus moved with compassion. Part of making disciples involves having compassion. Now, if you look at the scriptures, you will find that this theme is all over. It's all over the place. And so we must not be content to say, let's just fill up a room for a service and let's um, you know, get as many people in here to hear the message and do that. No, let's look at the people that the Bible says we should focus on and let's find ways to bring Jesus to people who need his compassion. And it's going to take all of us. I, I jotted a few things down. You'll see them on your notes. The Bible talks a lot about having compassion for the poor. You find it in the Old Testament. and You find it all throughout the New Testament. In fact, in James, he says this, My brethren... Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Don't be respect, don't don't make a big deal of people and their status. Why? Well, he says, if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that wears the the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou here or sit under my footstool. Are ye then partial in yourself and are you become judges of evil thoughts? Now, culturally, none of us would actually do this literally, right? Because we know it's culturally unacceptable. Like, I can think of no scenario where somebody would come in a little poorly dressed and we would be like, oh, You, you sit over here. You don't belong here. We would never, I mean, I hope nobody would do that. It is both morally wrong and socially unacceptable if you just need a little coaching on manners. You don't do that. And we wouldn't be like, oh, look at this. Look at this guy with those cool clothes. Hey, man, come on up here. We'll bring you to the front. That would just be like tacky. We wouldn't do it. But do you think in our own ways we are sometimes guilty of this? So let's put it into more socially acceptable context. How are we sometimes more guilt? How do we commit this here? Not in the obvious way, but in more subtle ways that are more socially acceptable to us. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's we gravitate toward people that we might feel more comfortable with, or that are more like us, or something. And there's and and again, we wouldn't do the obvious denigrate someone in that in, in this regard, but we would just maybe ignore those individuals. Yeah. In other ways, what? How do we do this? We, we, are guilty of this in our own in our own way. Yeah, their mannerisms. That's a good point. You know, people sometimes people act strange. You know, and now we're not talking about like dangerous strange. That's a that's a different thing altogether. Sometimes people have strange, quirky mannerisms, or they're a little odd, or this or that. And, you know, but we love Travis anyway. You know, oh, I couldn't resist. I had to do something. Sorry, sorry. But you know what I'm, you know what I'm you know what I mean though? Like we all know what I mean. And this is kind of what this passage is talking about. And so as Christians, we're supposed to be moved. As we follow Jesus, we're moved with compassion. The Bible calls us to. Compassion toward the poor or people in different social situations than us. How about just the like who who we spend time with? Like, you know, will we? I just think about it like the the you know we've got sometimes not in every situation, but in some of the situations, boys or girls who ride our bus and come from very difficult backgrounds. Um, but not all. Some come from solid homes, but many come from very difficult backgrounds, and. Do we, do we care to have a real relationship with them? And, or is, are we content just to be like, all right, you know, we bring them in, we push them through the program, and then we move on. I think there's more we could say about it, but the Bible gives us a clear instruction that part of our responsibility as disciples is to have that compassion for the poor, to look for people in need, and to care for them. Compassion for the poor. Secondly, you'll see in the Bible, compassion for the sick. We should have a special care and prayer for those who are sick. In fact, we have an opportunity for this tonight. I'm not going to read these scriptures. Um, you, can, you can look at them. But we have an opportunity, opportunity tonight um, to pray. One of, our, uh, one of the ladies in our church, Teresa, who we pray for, for the physical difficulties she has she just sent me a text message today. She says, I know the church prays for me, but if you could just ask them tonight to, to, to really lift me up in prayer because I'm discouraged about these health situations that I'm having. And I love that, you know, she's given some vulnerability there. And so we, as the body of Christ, disciples together, we should say, Yes, of course, let's lift, lift you up. But there are people all around us. They. They have sickness, they are chronic illnesses and problems. This is real discipleship, right? It's not a program or a plan. It's people and their situations and where they're at. How are we ministering to, to people like in, in, that are dealing with these kinds of things? It's compassion for the poor, compassion for the sick. Thirdly, you'd find all throughout the Bible, there's an instruction to have compassion, special compassion for children. Matthew 19, 13 through 15, then were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. Get those kids out of here. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come, not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. So compassion we should have for, for children. And that's why, you know, we're gonna all um you know, as a church we've had for the last few several years we've had the hare family really lead our children's ministry, and as they move on to their next ministry, different people are going to have to fill in roles but really it's for all of us and we're we're um, you know just think about little things like like for instance it's um we're doing family this this is just one example, but we're doing family bike night on um on Sunday night. And I know that we can't invite every, you know, we can't invite all of the kids that come to our program to to do that with us. Just logistically, it would be very difficult. But what about a a, a family that would say, hey, why don't you come with us? You know, we have the opportunity. Every now and then, um, Gracie spends a Sunday afternoon at our house. Now, it's difficult if you don't have children, because that's that, that, that you know there's legal concerns and things like that, but in the church, you could have an opportunity to show kindness to a, to a young person, to a child there's opportunities there's appropriate ways that 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 um, understanding and finding out when is this, when are these children 's birthdays, and when is this and just to show compassion, I was listening to the testimony of a missionary recently who just just got commissioned through the Baptist Bible Fellowship. I was just watching a video of some new missionaries going out. And the man told the story of how he did not grow up in a Christian home at all. And, um, but at one and his family life was terrible. But they finally moved to one area where this church had a van ministry. And they'd pick up the kids and bring them to church. And he's like, all I wanted to do was go to church, he said. He said that. Well, why do you think that was? Because that was the only place where he felt loved. Where he felt that yeah, somebody was making a difference. Um, But he wouldn't feel that if it was just all right. Bring the kids in, run them through a program, bring them home. Bring them in, run them through a program, bring bring them home. There was in demonstrable ways. There was compassion that was shown. So again, I'm hitting on different things, and everybody's not going to do everything, but something is going to connect with your heart, and as we go through this series, you're going to say, you know what? Yeah. Like, now, maybe you're like, oh yeah, we, I can need to do this, I need to do that, and you can't do, we, no, a pastor can't do everything, and no one church member can do everything, but all of us together have to trust that God will touch our hearts, and we'll say, you know what? I can't do everything, but I can get involved with this, I can do that. So whether it's whether it's like we said compassion for the poor compassion for the sick compassion for the children What were you going to say Travis It doesn't have to be a church I mean I can't tell just need America to have kids go to baseball Yeah Boys in baseball Right seeing our kids you know and their love the Lord Right Kids ask questions Right It doesn't have to be a church Exactly it can be a, And that can be a for children. Like especially for children Right They are Right. Absolutely. Um, fourth, the fourth one that I, fourth theme that I found of compassion in the scripture is on the back of your handout. The Bible gives specific instruction about compassion for widows and orphans, and the Bible talks in several passages about people that. Are truly in need because of abandonment from their families. Um, one of our, um, I have multiple friends that are Christian people that are involved in, heavily involved in foster care. And I really believe that all of us as Christians who are able to, we should con- at least be open to that in our like I don't feel that that's something that God would have me do right now in my life but I do have to say would I do I have a surrendered attitude where I would say lord when if you make that if you open that up and you want me to do that I would do that I would foster children like there's there are not enough homes for children to be fostered in our community and of of what group of people should be the most involved in Foster care, if not Christian people, right? I mean, if if we have been specifically given this instruction in the scripture, if our Lord and Master says that we should care for the widows and the orphans, like what responsibility should we feel toward that? This, like I told you, in the, this these messages, this is like boots on the ground Christianity. This is like this is like the work of Christianity, but it's also where the greatest rewards come in. So the greatest fulfillment comes in. So that's just one example. Um, but the foster care thing would, it really, it really jumps out at me because I think it was um, in Bennington, maybe last winter, there was a month where told me she had spoken with someone and there were more babies born in the hospital that needed to go into immediate foster care than they had homes for. In our little hospital up the road here. It's incredible. Incredible the need that's around us. Um, I believe if we will focus on, if we will focus on doing the Lord's work, he will build his church, right? Sometimes churches get out of whack and they want to, and even we in our own lives, like, well, we want to have you know, our great group of Christian friends, and we want to have our, and I'm not saying that those things are bad. We need those things. But we can't just be consumers. That's not what disciples are. We're just, we, we are disciples who make disciples, and we do it with compassion. And then finally, you'll see in the Bible, compassion for the hurting. Compassion for the hurting. It is amazing how many people who are cold to the gospel, are, they have either, either they're indifferent or they're antagonistic. They either don't want Jesus or they just don't really think one way or the other about Jesus. When they face a situation in their life that brings hurt and difficulty, they are ready for the love of Christ. And God uses that so many times, and we need to be there when people are there, Compassion for the hurting, both the hurting that need to come to Christ and the hurting among us. Because many people that are on their Christian journey, their disciples, sometimes when they're in that situation of pain and hurt, that's a a delicate place for their Christian faith. And sometimes people in their hurts, either their faith gets stronger, or that hurt in that situation causes them to temporarily fall away from the faith. And we need to be there to do what the scripture says. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Galatians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, we exhort you brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So I would just ask you to pray about this just pray and say, Lord, stir a heart of compassion in me, a gut level compassion, a move with compassion and show me what you want me to do and how you want me to make a difference and pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest, Harvest that we would be disciples who make disciples And that we would have compassion. Let's pray and we'll wrap it up tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. And for the great love that you've shown us. Lord, I'm thankful that you were moved with compassion toward us when we were lost. And I pray that you'd help us to learn your love. Lord, we'll never love like you do. Your love is perfect. But help us to learn to love as you do. I pray that you'd help us as we uh, seek to make a difference in people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd send more laborers both out into the mission field, but also here among, among this community, among this church. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.